0: It's time again for another episode of Stick a Fork in It. Gosh, Ev, I love doing these. Mm-hmm. We learn yeah. so much every single time. Sure. Today we have an old friend of mine, Dr. Chad Radwan, um, who spent time at Trinity Cafe and has been working for uh, the Veterans Administration and our Haley Hospital right here in Tampa Bay. And he brought a friend along uh, named David who is a decorated veteran who taught us a ton about the Coast Guard, his journey and what he does to help others.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny to hear David's idea of a good time. You know, he's like, yeah, I like to get, you know, jostled around in helicopters that can crash during hurricanes and, you know, climb glaciers and things like that. Just no big deal. Um, Or or
0: Drug lords.
1: Yeah, he chased drug lords across the ocean, you know, but uh, but it was pretty incredible to hear about his time in the service and his time afterwards, because, you know, he was sharing how uh, the ways that he continues to try to be supportive and, you know, the things that veterans need once they are out of, you know, out of that uh, high pressure situation, the things that they like to do afterwards and the things that they that they need that people may not realize.
0: Right, and how they can help each other. And, you know, I got to just remind you folks, if you need food, uh, feedingtampabay.org, find food. I know a lot of our veterans and active military are struggling right now, but something we also will learn in this podcast, don't forget, everybody deserves to be approached with dignity and respect. It is an easy gift to give. So enjoy, stick a fork in it. So, Ev, I'm so excited. Dave and Chad, welcome to Stick a Fork in It. Chad, we go back, my friend. Why don't you tell everybody how we go back?
2: You know, the years are flying by. So if I told you it's been six years, it's probably been seven years. And yes, because I've been at the VA now uh, for five and a half, almost six. And then the year before that, I spent with you all in in Trendy Cafe, who's you know now obviously part of Feeding Tampa Bay and Feeding America. Uh, I was working with you and under you on pretty much anything that had to do with with engaging folks in the community, um, getting volunteers to come in and serve, which there was always, a, would say, a plethora of them, but organizing them was, was one of the tasks that I got heavily involved with. And then, um, you know, you, you came to that for me when uh, I got the job at the VA and wanted to finish up um, my service. And we found a way to do that and use my skills and Writing and promoting, and, and and yeah, it worked out really well. I've always considered myself a strong writer, and I, I loved my time at Trinity Cafe. It wasn't the best time in my own life, personally, coming out with a PhD and having a hard time finding um, feasible employment. But oh, I have really fond memories uh, of working with you guys, and then of course just the, the service, you know, just uh, just being around folks who were just gave me a different perspective. I don't know how to say, you know, folks who, who didn't come from the same walk of life that I did and, 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 um, and feeling like I could engage and have conversations with them and and just be a part of their, their, their lives for that meal every afternoon.
0: Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I have to to share that, um, you know, you can always learn something. Right. Uh, No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been doing your work, there's always going to be somebody who might come into your life and teach you how to be better. Um, And I think with you coming in right off of getting your doctorate with hopes to do certain things, looking for what you wanted to do in your life, you gave a year of your time. But I learned a lot from you as well. You know, we had a great time. You taught me a lot of things. I think we taught you a lot of things, and it was a wonderful time, and I'm thankful for that year that you spent with us because uh, we served a lot of people, but we had a really great time doing it. But we'll get more into that. You have brought, you're always surrounded by these wonderful people. You have brought a friend of yours, David. David, welcome to the show as well. Tell us a little bit about you.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, First, I met Chad. Uh, as i'm a participating member with a veteran engagement group um, we meet uh, at least once a month and what we do is we help review research projects that are uh, looking for institutional review board approval or they're um, researchers that uh, have designed a project and they they are uh, basically applying for a grant Mm -hmm. And so they want input from uh, veterans uh, to help them decide if they're going to if they need any changes for their their research project. Um, I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, so I was born in Germany. My dad was 10th Special Forces Green Berets back when there was still the Cold War um, and he was messing around with the. uh, the wall and the fence line around, you know, East Berlin and uh, East wow. Germany. Um, Vietnam war started. So they uh, transferred him back to the States, which meant me and my two brothers. We, we all three of us were born over there. Um, so they transferred him to the fifth special forces, green berets. And uh, they, that's why they were um, in the Fort Bragg Fayetteville area. And then he went to the Vietnam war and um, so we lived there for quite a while. He came back from Vietnam and he was, uh, he was working in the training division of the Special Forces Green Berets of Fort Bragg. So that kept us there longer. Um, to keep us from having to move around, he used to do all kinds of unaccompanied tours. He would go to Thailand for a year, then come back. He went to Korea for a year. And then come back he did all these uh short deployments and that kept my family in north carolina um all the way up through college i went to nc state my uh degree is uh polymer chemistry i'll tell you right now it's back then there wasn't a lot of job opportunity for that um unless you went to uh live in india or something like that work for dow chemical Um, I didn't want to do that. I was hoping something would open up, but I needed to pay my college bills. Uh, I had an older brother that was already in the Coast Guard. Um, So my father of all people, the Green Beret, said, uh, Dave, if you want to do something that's interesting and cool, as opposed to just march around the woods with a pack on training, um, join the Coast Guard. They do actual real stuff every day, 24-7. So I did. Um, I was paying back school bills, I was on a motor surf boat up in New England, the kind where you snap in, turns over in the water, you hold your breath, so it writes itself. Um, I was waiting for aviation school to open up, it did, I went to that. Um, I graduated, went right back up to New England, um, I was flying in helicopters. Okay. Uh, wow. That's when I thought, wow, this is pretty cool, I kind of like this. <laughs> and I like the pay. I finally got my um, college bills paid off, but there still wasn't a lot of job opportunities in uh, polymer chemistry. I was still looking, but I really liked the flying in the Coast Guard. And they say, when you get to the halfway point, you might as well go ahead and do a 20 year career. I hit the halfway point and I said, that's it. I'm going for it. So I uh, was stationed in massachusetts for a very long time i actually flew in the storm of the century they made a movie about that
0: oh yeah Uh, yeah with mark Wahlberg.
3: yeah so i flew out in that um whoa yeah and then uh, i got stationed down in the st pete clearwater area and started doing anti-narcotics so i was deploying out to the caribbean a lot uh, for a week or two weeks at a time come home for two to four weeks go back down there for a week to two weeks at a time chasing drug runners. Um, Made extra money doing that, so that was helpful. And uh, then I went to North Carolina. I was stationed near the Outer Banks for two years Mm. doing search and rescue um, and then flying over land looking for marijuana fields and then right back down to St. Pete Clearwater uh, where I retired. So I didn't move around a lot. Um, when you specialize in something like anti-narcotics, uh, you're chasing drug runners, it's not like you're going to go get stationed in Chicago or Alaska. There's not a lot of cocaine smuggling going on in places like that. Right, right. Um, while I was in, I, I got a bachelor's of science in management and an MBA because I was looking at something that I could use with my military experience, but actually have degrees so I would be hireable
0: um, mm-hmm.
3: when I got out and uh, there's more. I'm kind of over-talking. So.
0: so that, well, let me ask you a question. Let's pause on that for a minute a minute, and share, uh, because I find all of this incredibly fascinating. Okay. I mean, I think if you live in Tampa Bay, you kind of know uh, where the co- that Coast Guard area is when you're crossing over, going to St. Pete um, right. Airport. So that, but I was fascinated when you're talking about Tell us about your time in helicopters. I think that is crazy. When you talk about the storm, you know, what is the responsibility of the Coast Guard when something like that happens?
3: Whenever there's a storm, you can guarantee that the Coast Guard helicopters and the C-130s, and there's some other fixed-wing aircraft, you know they're gonna go out. And we fly in that type of weather. I've flown in multiple hurricanes. Um, I don't even know how many, um, and tropical wow. storms. Now, that's so no
0: motion crazy. sickness for you. You don't have motion sickness oh, no, at all. No, no.
3: Uh,
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would be dying. I would be no. like, oh my God.
3: Yeah, no, um, there's a reason I, I think you can see over my shoulder. There's a, yeah. a, a flight helmet. There's a reason why you wear those. It's so violent in the helicopter, in the air. There was once in a storm off of New England where we took a, a gust of wind we are flying about 200 feet off the water in the middle of the night. It, I, my head slammed into the window next to me and we shattered it. So I, oh, had, to, wow. I had to unhatch it and bring it in so no more glass was flying in the back of the helicopter. Wow. Um, it was very exciting. And then chasing the, uh, the dopers too, the drug runners, um, we didn't just look for the boats. We chased uh, aircraft that would smuggle the drugs, that's primarily what we did and then would land behind them and then get out and wave guns at them or find places where they'd make drug drops over land and things so it was pretty exciting and that was you know seven days a week for the type of job i did that was not seven days a week for me it was once every four days i was standing search and rescue ready crew and then when i would deploy down the caribbean that would be 24 hours a day for um one to two weeks and then i'd come home
0: so your dad mentioned your dad mentioned that if you don't want to run around in the jungle with a backpack uh i can't imagine how incredibly proud he is for saving people's lives um in precarious uh situations um saving our kids uh because those drugs didn't make it to the streets i mean
3: well, he was wrong. In the we beginning,
0: were, he made it sound like a cush job, but it is far yeah. from it.
3: No, but he was. W- there was some running around in jungles with backpacks. What he meant was just marching around the dirt roads in Fort Bragg with a pack on, going God, nowhere. Yeah. There was nothing. There were no wars going on back in that time in the eighties. There, there was nothing going on. So all you were doing was eating in a chow hall and just marching around in the heat doing nothing. Um, So what he said, because he had experience with the Coast Guard in Vietnam and he really liked working with them. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why he suggested I do it. And boy, he wasn't wrong there. It's constant. Just something. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: So, so you did, you served your 20 years and retired. Mm -hmm. So what was that transition like coming out of, a career military experience to a civilian life.
3: Okay, that was tough. So I was waiting for a job to open up at an engineering firm. They were just starting this engineering. They're based out of Virginia beach and they were starting it up in this area and we were designing uh, radar and sensor systems. That's my specialty is aviation electronics. So I was going to be the program manager of the flight department. We were getting a recon aircraft. Um, It's called a C-12. It's a twin engine plane with a big radium on the bottom. And we were hiring a bunch of engineers that we had hunted from Raytheon and some other places. And we were going to design and build and flight test these things. But until then, I, I was working at a Home Depot for about wow. a year and seven months and let me tell you something. I don't know if it was because in the military that I was used to more respect or you, the way you spoke to people, but up uh, customers are horrible people. <laughs> the, the way they talk to you, the, 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 the down talk, the language they use, it was, it was difficult. And as an employee, as a customer service employee at a store, or if I were somebody at a restaurant or something like that, it was tough. There's a lot of keeping your trap shut or they complain. There's a big 1-800. You go to a Home Depot, maybe even in a Lowe's or some other places on the exit, there's a big banner hanging over the exit sign with a 1-800 number where... They're begging for you if as a customer to call if there's a complaint. It skips over the manager of the store. It goes right to the headquarters, and you're in trouble. So there's a lot of taking it, and it was very difficult, and I couldn't wait until they finally had the building set up so I could go to work at that engineering firm. <laughs> yeah, it's the transition was um, – I, I will never go through that again.
0: Wow, wow, okay. So we wanna pivot over to Chad for a minute. He's been sitting there so quietly and yeah. uh, you know, David kind of explained how you guys know each other, um, but how is it that you guys work together?
2: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm glad to learn more about Dave on this call because we've been doing um, sort of what we do together every time I see Dave. So learning more about him was, is, has been just as interesting for me as it is for you. Um, so Dave mentioned that he's part of something called the Veteran Engagement Group uh, James A. Haley. And veteran engagement groups exist across different VA facilities. There's at least 17 or more of them across the country. Um, and really, in ours, um, the veterans and veteran caregivers, we have about 10 to 12 members right now. Um, you know, come every month, and we invite a researcher. The researchers, fellow researchers like myself, will reach out and say, "I have a a project, and I need to make sure I'm incorporating the veteran and veteran caregiver perspective." And that's really key, especially uh, when we talk about reflexivity and research and trying to understand who you are and your place in the study. Uh, and just uh, uh, recognizing that research doesn't fall out of the air, like it just doesn't come out of thin air and you have an intention and you have to try to um, maintain your your um, objectivity as much as possible. Uh, but anyhow, that's all uh, sort of different fragments of, of why it's so important to incorporate uh, veteran perspectives in veteran centered research and veteran research or VA research has huge implications for healthcare systems across the world, let alone the US, um, you know, the VA is the largest single healthcare system in the country and perhaps the world even, I, I, I shouldn't be quoted on that, but, um, but this is where research happens and, and we're one, in some ways, we're, we're one big hospital all across, all across the country. Anyhow, I took over the Veteran Engagement Group um, for a short time by myself, and then Dr. Jason Lynn joined me as a co-lead a few months later. Back and I want to say the end of 2019. I'll go with that. Um, and Dave, you may remember because I think the VEG was was as we called it back then the Vec Veteran Engagement Council had only been around about a year, year and a half. And Kirsten Downs, who was a colleague of mine and also a veteran um started that so so yeah i was fortunate enough to inherit this awesome group and we built it up with a few more members and it's it's wild that out of you know 10 or 12 folks we have all five branches of the military represented we don't have space force represented yet but i don't think there are <laughs> any space force vets per se Shit.
0: Soon enough, soon enough. I love the approach that you guys have. I just have to kind of plug this in a little bit um, at feeding Tampa Bay and, uh, and across food banks. I think that you get uh, that you learn how to take care of people best by hearing from them. And I do know that we do that. You know, we are, we're mm-hmm. updating our strategic plan and it's, it's wonderful to um, hear that there are other organizations that do that as well and make sure, because I know, you know, uh, Dave, you might remember the time Chad, I know you're going through it. There was a time where those questions weren't asked. Yeah, they were assumed. And I think it's pretty special and important when we take the time to ask the real experts that are going through it, what's going on with them. Chad, tell us that we totally skipped over your personal background and stuff, but uh, just update us on that. Where are you from? I know these, these (laughs) answers, but a listener may not. Where are you from and, and what was it like growing up being you?
2: Well, I'll also wrap around these points to my background in anthropology because anthropology as a science has grown from that exact thing where where the anthropologists of old were sort of their own worst enemies and making all sorts of assumptions about the other and uh, yes. being exotic and in, in studying these groups of people and in speaking on their behalf completely. Um, so it's come a long way as a science and now we're sort of the antithesis to that. Um, so yes, I'm from Newport Ritchie. I'm I'm of Lebanese descent, um, you know, through obviously both of my parents uh, who emigrated here in the very end of the 60s and the early 70s. Um, and, and you know, they were in Port Ritchie before there were people in Port Ritchie. So uh, right. that's where I grew up. Um, I've gone to the University of South Florida for my, my bachelor's, my master's, my PhD. I was there for 14 and a half years. Uh, I enjoyed working as a teaching assistant, a researcher for the College of Education, for the College of Public Health, did a lot of research up in the villages. Um, and I did a, a significant amount of research in my own ethno-religious group for my master's thesis and my uh, doctoral dissertation and trying to understand this small group called the Druze, D-R-U-Z-E. Um, and if you go to YouTube and type in the word Druze, one of the first hits will be um, an episode of a podcast called Religion for Breakfast. I wrote that, I'll appear in the video at the very end. And if you want to know more about that group, that is a great 15 minute primer, Um, not only about my research, but about that particular group. And really the research was focused on how this group as an ethnic or religious minority in the diaspora and in their countries of origin preserve their um, cultural heritage, which is to say their very sense of self, their identity and, and their sense of what we call particularism, which is what distinguishes one group from another. Um, so that's that's a bit about my background. I you know moved to Tampa, um, finally made the jump um, about 12 years ago or 13 years ago. and I just bought a house and I moved in it less than a week ago. Oh
0: congratulations. I was gonna ask, is that the new house that we're viewing?
2: Is, yeah.
0: So I, I just need to back up a little bit because I learned a lot about anthropology through you. And I think it is so crazy that we were together. Mm-hmm. Then we merged with Feeding Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Dr. Himmel Green is on our board. You used to talk about him all the time. Now I talk to him all the time. It's like the That's world's great. collided. Mm-hmm. What took you down the path of anthropology? Like why?
2: It's, it's sort of having um, a, um, a foot in two worlds in a way and and dave can attest to this because i think this has a bit to do with with uh, you know veterans becoming veterans and transitioning and mm-hmm. um so for myself being born and raised in in west pasco and Port Ritchie in this area um which we had a great upbringing we went to christian school and, and had good experiences in the area at the time um i Still felt like a little bit of an outsider, like there was something to me and mainly why I had that unique sense of self from, you know, the other children in school was that I spoke a second language. I spoke Arabic and kind of had some sense that I came from this ethno-religious group. Um, even though the religion is not anything to be practiced, it's not much different than other monotheistic religions to a degree. Uh, But, but, you know, having a a foot in both worlds, W.E.B. Du Bois um, uh, called it, I think, double consciousness or double lens or something to that effect. And um, just knowing that I wanted to take a critical look at my own ethno-religious group and try to understand how does this group persist when there's so little knowledge of the religion um, and and how does it persist sort of as a cultural group? Uh, and and you know I w- I did the kind of anthropology where you're considered an insider, even though when it came time to do, do the dissertation, rather than understanding Druze in North America, I went to Lebanon, and I had only been to Lebanon once before my dissertation, and I went full full tilt seven months. I lived there, and uh, and did this sort of old school anthropology and how much I was an insider is up to debate because they saw me coming from a mile away. They said, Right, you're you're not from here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: American. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 So it's really interesting to me. So this this um, yearning to understand um, and even explain more. Now you you know you were Trinity Cafe, then you moved on to work for the veterans. What exactly is it that you do um, over at Haley?
2: Uh, so I'm a researcher, and um, in the last year, slightly over a year, I had the opportunity to take over my first research project, um, and I, I study of myriad variety of topics i um eh, mainly i'm a qualitative researcher so i'm kind of couched in my methodology and that's just understanding you know offering narrative feedback as opposed to our statisticians and and there's you know there's other approaches i've even worked with folks who've studied um the built environment space you know architects and whatnot and understanding how the hospitals laid out and they have their own set of methods uh, so, uh, you know, for me, I, uh, the different topics I've been involved with uh, is suicide prevention. And I could talk all day about what that project looks like, because it's it's pretty intriguing that a lot of the data, I don't like to call it data sometimes, it sounds so, it's so impersonal. A lot of the feedback that we're working with and the narratives we're working with are related to um, or or stem from fam- uh, interviews conducted with family members of veterans who have died by suicide posthumously and so you know it's a it's a it's um it's a rich data set and it's deep and sometimes you find yourself emotionally drawn in and it just it strikes you it's 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 um it's it's everything and um i've other topics throughout the last five years like sleep apnea and pap adherence and you'd wonder what is there to learn from there well you know you want to understand the barriers that some folks might have to to their PAP adherence and different strategies to kind of mitigate that. Um, More recently, I've been working with the Homeless Program Office and um, focusing on staff burnout. The staff burnout is obviously deeply related to a lack of resources that the Homeless Program Office staff are able to provide to veterans, the serious pressure that they're under uh, a lot of folks are onboarded uh, straight out of graduate school, and it is trial by fire, and it's it's complicated. and And I have wonderful colleagues on those projects that we work for the national office, um, and and they're very receptive to the feedback and to improving improving things across the the VA. Um, but yeah.
0: Do, do you have any notable outcomes since you t- with your time there that, that you feel your research has has supported?
2: The funny thing is they say that, you know, the, the time frame of having a, a, a research project started and then ending and then publishing and, and its impact is like 10 years. So, you know, to say that I've had notable impacts, I've had, I feel like my work has had real impacts on the projects themselves. Uh, but you know, if I were to say that you know it's made real changes across the VA, uh, the programs I'm involved with have the potential to do that, and I think that they're they're starting to do that. But even the the suicide work that I do is right. a program that's existed since 2017 at the latest. So so okay. th- these things take years to roll out. I. I you know, I, I like to think I have some impact, but I, I,
0: am um... Sure you do. I'm certain you do. You can't, you approach it with such passion. So Dave, you're part of, uh, the group that helps give Chad, uh, Dr. Radwan, um, feedback, um, from your perspective, how important do you think, uh, or how crucial is the support, um, that veterans need? How important is that?
3: It's uh, the support that veterans get is um, very important. Uh, you know, I can't ex- use other words to uh, explain how extremely important it is. Um, as Chad was talking about, there's uh, veteran suicide. So there's, uh, there's a problem with that. Um, there's veterans that have families and uh, they may be, struggling with finances. Um, So that's a problem. They need support there, especially veterans that are uh, a lot younger. Maybe they um, went to Afghanistan or Iraq, and they got out of the military after one quick tour. So they didn't, they got out at not a very high rank. They didn't retire. So they don't have a pension. Now they, the only job they learned is how to kill somebody with a rifle and their wife couldn't go to college because she was working to finance an, an apartment at home or take care of kids or all of that. Now mm-hmm. he's home or she's home and the spouse is there and they have children and they're struggling to pay for a place to live or for food. Um, now, there's other things as well. Uh, veterans that um, isolate or they're in places where there's not other veterans um, <laughs> due to post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury. Uh, they need something to do. Um, and they miss a lot of their connection to veterans. So there's programs that uh, help veterans do uh, like painting um, photography, art programs. Um, in the Tampa Bay area, the, uh, there's two large VA hospitals. I'm more familiar with James A. Haley in Tampa, a little bit with Bay Pines. I used to live a couple miles from there. That's in St. Petersburg. They actually have like a gardening project where they'll garden food and they take home some of the food they grow. Um, I think the, uh, County Agriculture Office has some sort of, or wants a connection with veterans in the uh, Hillsborough County, Tampa Bay area. Um, there's also sports and uh, ways to help veterans um, also volunteer with these organizations to help other veterans. So uh, military people had a job and it was very, um intense they they were very active in the job when they get out all of a sudden they don't have that sort of high intensity action anymore getting them involved is very important so there's all kinds of things out there that is help for veterans especially um veterans to transition um so they know how to deal with people that weren't in the military that's kind of important
0: have you have you ever sought support for yourself through any of those organizations or those opportunities, or did you kind of learn the hard way that that was needed?
3: Um, I learned the hard way. So I worked as a, a when I worked at a Home Depot, um, that was maddening dealing with uh, people that don't show uh, respect. And that's actually nine out of 10 people um, being, spoken down to especially after retiring at a higher than normal rank Mm
0: -hmm. or
3: just military people just didn't speak to each other that way there was some compartmentalization it was just understood and and respect up and down the chain um so that was an eye-opening experience uh then i went to work for an engineering company and i was a program manager so I worked right under a vice president. So that helped. Um, I wasn't being spoken down to anymore. Um, I worked there for about eight years as a government contractor, um, designing the radar and sensor systems. When that section of that company closed down, I worked for a company called CAE, and I was training U.S. and foreign military to fly in large C-130 aircraft and also do the avionics maintenance. So I did classroom instruction and instruction in simulators. And then I would take them to different uh, Air Force bases in Arizona, Utah, or the Coast Guard Air Station and get them some hands-on training on the C-130s. So once again, I was in a position of leadership and there was some respect. So I didn't really need to look for help. But when I got out that year and seven months at Home Depot, that was tough. I could not imagine doing that for 10, 15 years. That would have, uh, that would have been unbearable. Um, mm. Then I, uh, So I do uh, triathlons and Ironman, and I was in Utah training for an Ironman, we was working out at hill air force base um out of was working for the company cae getting ready to deploy and um i was training for an iron man and i was at the end of a uh, a training run i was running a 10k every day after work i was on a sidewalk and a truck speeding doing about 60 65 miles per hour in a 35 couldn't navigate an extremely sharp turn ran off the road and hit me from behind while I was on the yeah. sidewalk. So I smashed into the windshield and then the truck trying to leave the scene when it bounced, it got back on the road, it bounced off the curb. I rolled off the hood and underneath. It <gasps> dragged me about, oh 100, drag me about 190 feet uh, speed bump, dislodged me from under the truck. Um, so they flew me out of there in a helicopter to University of Utah Medical Center. I'm above-knee amputee. I got uh, four titanium ribs, traumatic brain injury. What else? got two spinal column rods, some fused vertebrae. And all I remember waking up out of their uh, induced coma 10 days later is uh, I was really ticked off that I didn't get to go to that Ironman because I knew I was going to win.
0: You've been training, oh, so let yeah. me get this straight: you threw, flew through storms, you chased drug lords and drug dealers through the ocean, but what really hurt you the most is someone taking a corner careless in a truck.
3: Yeah, that's that's what hurt me. Um, not drug runners are horrible shots. So I was safe there.
0: Then they're under um, pressure, right? They're under a little bit of pressure when they, they've got
3: those. They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and these helicopters we flew in, this one you see behind me could land in the water. Um, so if we crash in the water, give you a, an extra couple of seconds to to get out and bob up and down with your inflatable vest. We had homing beacon radios. Then I flew in something called an H-60. Uh, veterans watching this will know what that is. The Army, they call it a Blackhawk. The Coast Guard mm-hmm. is called a J-Log. That doesn't float. So you you really don't want to oh. crash that. But we were highly trained, so never got hurt doing any of that. It was running on a sidewalk. That's that's how I got hurt. Go figure. Um,
0: do, trying to do what you love. Yeah. Um, Are you... You know, all this wonderful experience you have, Um, even the learned experience from being in the Home Depot, you know, we talked about early on that we learn from each other and it's learning that that's just not how you treat people, you know, and and maybe your influence can help remind people that we're all in some place in our lives and we kind of all deserve respect and dignity. Um, How are you, are you doing anything specifically in your world that's helping veterans besides giving your time to uh, Chad's work?
3: Uh, yes. So back to getting run over. That happened August 28, 2014. And um, my father being, you know, retiring as a colonel Green Beret was well connected uh, with the founder of this organization called Combat Wounded Veteran Challenge. And uh, at first it was only combat wounded veterans would be participants, but then they changed it to other uh, severely injured veterans. Um, stand, uh, ones with post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, are amputees. And the the participants, everything that they do, and now I do, is IRB, Institutional Review Board Certified Research. So we don't just go out and do things as veterans and try to be badass. There, there's a purpose. And typically, a... Uh, a researcher and or doctor accompanies us and they have to have their stuff up together because one of the things we do is climb the seven summits. One of those is Everest, we haven't done that yet. We've done the second tallest mountain. Um, If you look behind me, you'll see this is uh, me and some veterans, some Air Force PJs that are above the knee amputees we spent 10 days on some glacier in Northern Alaska.
0: Wow. Um,
3: it's pretty cool. There were avalanches all around us. <laughs> um, so we were trekking and doing research on different types of prosthetics that would go to uh, military special forces. So we would try to break them. Um, we uh, we also go down to the Green Beret Combat Diving School in Key West. Once or twice a year, and that's what these are for. These banners. There's another Mm -hmm. one over here. Can't see it. Uh, We work with. We get trained with the Green Berets, and we go out there and we work um, in the water. We do the uh, underwater navigation dive. We do all that stuff. uh, Testing different prosthetics. um, See if we can break them in the water. Now, here's what's cool about it is I mentioned that veterans feel like they need to have a purpose and Mm -hmm. we're doing that. It's not like we're just doing this for fun. We know this is going to active duty because they don't kick special forces guys out if they lose a leg. They had special forces uh, Rangers and Green Berets that were above the knee amputees in the mountains of Afghanistan. So we need to really test this stuff and try to break it. And, uh, because it's going to those active duty military people. So there's a huge purpose. Um, and I became the, uh, chief executive administration officer because of my background in my, my master's degree and being very organized bookkeeping, handling budgets, counting finance. all that stuff so Mm -hmm. that happened quick so i got my leg cut off august 28th this i did actually no i did my first triathlon april of 2015 and i won that
0: less than a year later
3: yeah a few months so i i learned how to run on a running blade and i won my age group so i beat all the regulars Um, (laughs) that's
0: amazing
3: people don't swim. Well, that's the problem. And then (laughs) back here. uh, So the thing I did on the glacier was about a week and a half after that. Um, Wow. Really pushed it. My, I was a pain in the butt to my physical therapists. um, But I used to bring donuts and bagels every day to make up for it. And uh, here you go. One thing I do, the other thing I do, and I was doing this before I got injured is I train guide dog puppies for Southeastern guide dogs.
1: Oh.
3: Yeah. And, um, ha- what Southeastern guide dogs also has is uh pause for Patriots programs. So the dogs that are, that don't make it as guide dogs because they're too smushy with their person. They don't lead. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that make, uh, good dogs for veterans that have post-traumatic stress so i was already doing that forever um and i continue with that chad has met my dog bob um and uh i also work with an organization called new horizons so i train dogs it's a little bit more um relevant to my injury so they're for mobility they push grocery carts open closed doors drawers uh, turn on and off light switches, push and pull wheelchairs. Um, so I'm on a, uh, a USA Nordic biathlon team. That's where you cross-country ski and shoot. And I've taken the dogs, those dogs, up to different training when I go to do that in the snow and test them out and see if they'll pull me on my skis. They love it. So um, that's another thing I volunteer with. There's some wow. things I volunteer that are non-military non-veteran but it's good for veterans to get involved with like i do big brothers big sisters and my little is actually in a baseball game right now Mm -hmm. (gasps) um yeah it's okay he's they're gonna win it they're that good
0: he's got this he's Uh, got this We'll tell you the story after
3: yeah he's 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 gonna kill it seriously um that's awesome and then then go ahead I'm and sorry. When, go that's okay. And then one weekend out of December, I'm a uh, camp counselor for an organization that works with kids with cancer and blood disorders. So there's a bunch of different cabins that go by age groups. My cabin is it's got 25 to 8 year old little boys in there. So you can imagine it's a menace. But I'm in charge of making sure they take showers and brush your teeth. They always lose their shoes. You can guarantee you can find a shoe down by the lake or it's by the bonfire where one kid found the shoe by the lake and he wants to throw it in the fire at night. Um, <laughs> so that's where the shoes always are. Um, <laughs> so I love doing that. And uh, so that's another, those are, there's good things that veterans can do um, that don't deal with veterans. And of course the uh, feeding Tampa Bay is something very positive. Um, And it's it's something that's in need in this area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about how rough it is, um, even for, you know, active military and veterans to make ends meet. I think as a country, you know, many of us are struggling, even those that are hardworking families and what have you, you know, are struggling. And and Feeding Tampa Bay is um, honored to be there to serve. And we also have other organizations Um, before we started the show, David and I were talking about the Batista project, which is run by an active uh, colonel um, in the military and his wife that makes sure that families have what they need. And it's kind of great for them because uh, folks are coming in and, and really meeting with their peers. They're receiving something from their peers. So it takes a little bit of a barrier away from them. You know, I find it fascinating. I just have to back up a little bit because you talked about testing this, these prosthetics, And the interesting thing is before I was in um, hunger relief, I worked in uh, pediatric cancer and probably all of that work that you've done with prosthetics is going to create easier opportunities and materials for really anyone. You know, you think of something that can climb up Everest or, you know, go through glaciers or run triathlons, you know, or even swim. And it's because of that type of work that this is being made available you know, for our public, for anyone who finds themselves needing it. Um, Dave, thank you so much. I think you give us a wealth of information on how hard it is to transition, but um, you are definitely a dude that keeps plowing through and doesn't give up. It's that attitude that I think probably is a huge benefit uh, to Chad's work and what he does and, and you know, making sure that our veterans are going are to be okay, not just helping them out, but there's a ton of research that goes behind it and quantifies uh, the work that you do. Chad, if any veteran who's listening to us, or maybe they have a family uh, member who is struggling with any of the things that we talked about, you know, Dave mentioned PTSD, there's all kinds of things, physical, um, you know, recovering from physical harm. What is your advice on someone who really isn't using those services that the Veterans Administration clearly has available?
2: You know, there's a, um, and, and Dave can speak to this better than I can, but there's, you know, the VA has a reputation that hasn't always been perfect and wholesome, and that's putting it lightly, um, but being on the ground and being, you know, staff at the VA, I just see a lot of folks, a lot of my, my colleagues in research um, who love their jobs, who want to make an impact and uh, feel really... Strongly about their work processes and their their research, uh, you know. So I would, you know, tell a vet first of all, make sure that you know you're you're having uh, regular contact with with fellow vets because I think that's so important to to feel grounded, to feel like you belong, and and after transitioning out of the military, to make sure that you you have some kind of connection and somebody you feel like you want to share with and talk to and and, and remain open. Um, and, and hopefully folks will encourage one another to engage with the VA because there are so many programs, there's so much to do there. Um, and I'll also say that even if you're not receiving your care from the VA, there are still so many ways that one can be connected uh, with resources through the VA. And, and I'd be curious to hear how um, Dave, uh, you know, what he thinks on that and if he
3: agrees. Well, So, I've worked with a lot of veterans since I started working with, uh, since I went from being a participant to sort of uh, a staff provider, if you will, mentor with Combat Wounded Veteran Challenge. And VAs are all different throughout the country. Uh, Some veterans are in places where there's only um, an outlying clinic. And You know, I only get half the story. I only get whatever the veteran tells me. But it sounds like some of them don't get the proper care or the person that's helping them isn't really qualified to work with that sort of injury. But Mm -hmm. they're the ones that were sent to deal with that veteran. Um, The James A. Haley VA in Tampa is known throughout the country as one of the best, if not the best, VA to go to. Um, It provides a lot, uh, more than most. Um, The staff is best. The doctors are the best. There's another one, Big Pines in St. Petersburg, same thing. Um, I'm lucky to be here. And uh, so there's a lot to do. I think I mentioned earlier that there's um, a sports and recreation department Organizes uh, bicycle rides, dinners. They have a a garden gardening program that provides uh, garden food. They have arts and crafts, and I don't just mean come make a belt. They have they do photography where um, veterans actually win awards. Um, uh, painting, things like that. There's so much to do in this area. Um, we're mm-hmm. very lucky, so we are. But, you know, so veterans that don't have these sort of opportunities can get involved with a veteran, uh, like a a VA that's not near them, believe it or not. A lot of veterans don't know that. So I can actually get a uh, a grant through uh, the VA in Jacksonville to go to a summer sports fest or something in San Diego. So a lot of veterans need to know that. So there's opportunities out there
0: there's opportunities. You just have to look for it. And there are people, there. are the, you know, really the reason, you know, Ev, you and I, uh, from a, uh, a- storytelling perspective have told stories of uh, the veterans in who work for us, who are part of our team. We've talked about the veterans that are in our care. And Chad, you really mentioned uh, that sometimes uh, the veterans administration or the veterans hospitals get a bad rap. And I thought it was really important to have both of you guys on because I know, Chad, I know how hard His team works to figuring out what is right for those um, that have served our country. And I wanted to highlight, of course, with Dave, his experience and all of the amazing things that he gives back through his experience, all the way down to the guide dogs and the puppies and, you know, the ones that are now uh, helping support someone with PTSD. There's a lot of great things and a lot of great support that comes out of our veterans hospitals, both here um, in Tampa or in Bay Pines. We even actually have a food distribution at Bay Pines regularly um, supporting everyone out there. And of course, I mentioned the Bautista Project. So if you're listening, you're a veteran, you know one, seek them out. Seek them out because if you don't try, you don't know. And it just sounds like there's a lot of wonderful opportunities uh, for folks to engage that have that past experience. You know, I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, it's Feeding Tampa Bay. We're all about food. We're a food bank. And we always want to plug something cool in about food. And, you know, everything, so many good things happen around a table. Sometimes it can get a little crazy. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's challenging. You know, guys, I wanted to ask you, if we were to gather a table together for a meal, the four of us, we're all going to invite one person, right? Who are you going to invite? And then I want you to add a culturally appropriate dish from the way you were raised to the table. And with that, I'm going to go to our uh, Dr. Radwan anthropologist, uh, to tell us who you inviting and what do you bring (laughs) in?
2: Um, first of all, it just crossed my mind how important the dinner scenes from the Nutty Professor are to my family. Uh, and we love that and that dynamic can't be beat go Eddie Murphy Uh, for me though I I gave this a a bit of thought and I came up with an answer that surprised me Um, Leonardo da Vinci (laughs) You know, if I had the opportunity to resurrect someone and and talk to them and I, you know, I'll go off on a tiny tangent. I would always tell my students um, when I taught at the University of South Florida, do I never put anybody on a pedestal? So, you know, I want to kind of frame my answer by saying, uh, you know, this is somebody who I would enjoy having a conversation with. And I don't know much about Da Vinci, even though I have two little pieces of his art hanging here next to me. Um, and they're more mundane. Um, but you know, to see some of the things he designed and to think that he was able to get that from, you know, thought to paper would be intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't have much more to add about Da Vinci because I don't know him.
0: Uh, <laughs> but you would around the table. Yeah, so I, 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 would I would love to learn more about him too.
2: Yes. And, and there's actually a contemporary Japanese artist named, uh, Yoshitaka Amano. Whose Art has been in a lot of video games, and that's why at an early age, I was very attracted to his art without realizing what was going on. And it was so unique. Uh, And I had the chance to meet him. He came to Tampa once, oddly enough, and had an art show in Sarasota. Uh, That is maybe my my runner up, but two artists. Uh, Food wise, I would bring tabouli and people call it tabouli. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and, um, I once had a professor who called it grass clipping salad, uh, it must not <laughs> be that good tabbouleh but tabuli made at home is better than anything served in a restaurant. Even in Lebanon where the food is on point, <laughs> nobody makes tabouli like it could be made at home and it's about getting the parsley very fine. Uh, I can't make it never have. That's
0: um, a tip. There's a there's a tip in there. I got to tell you guys, when we worked together, Chad and I, we went to all the different restaurants in Tampa. The good news is food. He knows the food. I've experienced some food so that spicy. I was OK, I
2: love food. Uh, I love it all. But but yeah, Saboli, I it's something that I even know until I was really a teenager that it's a little bit of like a celebratory food. And it's not something one makes on the side for dinner. Um, We also don't make kebabs for ourselves for dinner. It's like everything's a one pot meal, Uh, not the things you would get at a restaurant, but the bully it's it's something one wouldn't serve if there was um, anything not celebratory going on. You could offend people. So it definitely sets the stage for for good vibes. I don't love that word vibes, but um, yeah.
0: Good vibes are good. That's a good, good thing. Uh, yes, yeah,
2: good energy, good, That's a, good, that's a good, yeah. good
0: thing. So we have Tavoli and we have Leonardo da Vinci joining us at the table with Chad. David, who are you bringing?
3: Okay, well, I'm gonna, can I bring two? Well, I'm Sure, going.
0: the more the merrier.
3: <laughs> First one is Isaac Newton. Okay. He discovered gravity. I mean, come on. He just dropped an apple and then gave it a name so whatever Um, any one of us could have done that I hereby call the falling apple gravity Uh, so good for you Isaac and he was
2: persecuted for it
3: yeah I mean so guess who he's going to sit with Leonardo da Vinci who's going to probably call out Isaac and Albert Einstein so he interests me because my favorite subjects I guess I'm a bit of a nerd but Chemistry, physics, math, things like that. But what would be interesting is I just keep my trap shut and watch him discuss things with Leonardo da Vinci.
0: Ah.
3: Yeah. So you're there to watch
0: how it works. You're there to watch what's going on at the table. So what are you bringing for us to eat?
3: Okay, well, my background is Greek, um, and I will say... Lebanese have tried to make certain Greek dis- dishes, and they're horrible at it. Do not talk about baklava or baklava. Yeah, they're, they're, they are horrible at it. But I uh. would make, um, I've made these before. Um, spanakopita, they're this yes. little spinach. They're they're terrible to make. I, I don't like doing it. Dolmades, um, that's easy to make. That's the grape leaves, the rolled grape leaves. Mm-hmm. And are you kidding me? Baklava. That's... Yeah. <laughs>
0: Ev, well, I, I don't think we need to bring any food.
1: It sounds like we're gonna have a whole spread, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so,
0: I love I love baklava. Oh, oh why I, are you going like this, Chad?
2: <laughs> because ours is much better <laughs> than Greek.
3: No, no, theirs is very dry. They don't put <laughs> enough honey in it. Listen, <laughs> we say the same baklava. About Greek. And put that. it next to my Greek baklava. Yeah, Shannon and Ev are gonna tell you to go ahead and just feed. Um, your guys that uh, you brought to the table. And thanks for playing.
1: I'm not upset about eating two kinds of baklava. That's fine. I'm right.
0: <laughs> or the tabbouleh or the domates. I love Old them. Of who, so we've got these. <laughs> it's so funny, you guys, when we do this, because it's like everyone kind of jumps into their own lane on who they're mm-hmm. inviting. This is definitely a unique one for us. So who do you want to bring in? What do you make? it? I'm going to
1: well, when we do this question, I, I usually also think of people that like, I don't personally know, but, um, you know, being on with you guys, um, I, there was a veteran that I knew, uh, who was in 101st airborne and, um, he was a really fun guy. Uh, I, I worked with him briefly through wounded warrior and, uh, he would have loved talking to you guys. He, he was a little bit like you, Dave, in that he was just, uh, he lived on the edge. Like he was just the kind of guy who, um, loved challenges and loved like extreme adventures and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, I think he would have a blast talking to you guys. And like Chad was saying, I think he would enjoy talking to people who who get it, you know? Um, and then food wise, uh, my background is Jamaican and my grandma used to make like uh really, really, she's, she's still with us, but I'm not up there very often, but like uh, she used to make a lot of Jamaican dishes growing up. And, um, one that she didn't make very often that I would have loved more is Jamaicans do really good rice and peas, which is uh, like it, it, I don't actually even know what seasoning they use. So I would have to research it before I tried to feed it to anyone. But <laughs> um, but they do really good rice and peas as like a side dish and it's got like just enough spice and uh, it's it's real good.
3: <laughs> Can your grandmother bring some crack cock and jerk chicken?
1: Possibly, you know, that one she did make. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So okay, I'm last. I'm absorbing all of this. But even when we were talking, I, I, even though we have all these wonderful historic people and this this wonderful veteran, I'm I'm leaning into the wonderful veteran too because, um, just listening to Dave talk and the work uh, that Chad has been involved with for so many years is I am inviting. Uh, My father-in-law, who is no longer with us, who was a Army Ranger, he was a colonel in Vietnam, um, very celebrated man, and uh, I know he would love talking to you guys. I know he would love learning how uh, we are now addressing, respecting, trying to understand, researching veterans, um, their families, and uh, how we can best take care of them, and knowing that we're making sure, or trying, you know. Our best to make sure all of those families have meals on their tables to get them at least started in the right direction. Uh, and his name was Colonel James Hannon. And if you guys would have met him, you would have loved him because he was cool. He was one of those guys that, w- if he was real gravelly to you, you were his favorite. <laughs> so I got that a lot. So I, I'm honored. Um, and we're missing a protein, y'all. And I'm from the South. So I am making spicy fried chicken to bring to the table with all this wonderful food uh, with a little bit of uh, hot honey on the side to drizzle on it. So there you go. Yeah, that wins. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, my gosh. I've had such a good time talking to you guys, learning about, uh, Chad, what you do. Um you know, I just have to say it. I'm just so proud of you. Always have been. I'm thankful to call you friend. You've introduced me into, uh, so many things and I understand so much more because of having you as a friend and I appreciate you. And David, we have learned so much. Thank you all for all that you do. All those extras you do post your service, really understanding a little bit more about the Coast Guard. I have to tell you that you, uh, uh shared more. And next time I watch that movie, I'm going to be cringing and thinking about you with, uh, mark what, what was his name again Wahlberg. mark wall how can i forget his name <laughs> mark Wahlberg. Mark,
1: mark.
0: you know and then of course of it's always a pro- pleasure dude got mm-hmm. any thoughts on us
1: uh no i you know i i just thank you guys for sharing your perspective we obviously we mentioned we walk with we work with the batista project often and so i've gotten to meet you know a number of veterans out there who receive some of our services and i think it's hard for people to imagine that people in active or retired duty like uh, are struggling you know and so you know uh, you guys sharing that uh firsthand and, and telling us what you mm-hmm. see is super helpful just for people that need the services and people who weren't even aware
0: yep thank you thank you for all you do guys and thank you for spending your time with us
3: thanks for having us
1: you can learn more about feeding tampa bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. you can also follow us on facebook instagram twitter linkedin youtube and TikTok at beating Tampa Bay.